Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hey friends, welcome again to Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. My name is Don Payne, your host. Glad to have you with us. In several of our recent episodes, we have given attention to some of the unprecedented pressures and stresses that teens and younger adults are currently experiencing. Uh, This affects families, it affects friendships, affects churches, workplaces, all kinds of sectors in our society. And, And we need to expand on that conversation because those pressure points don't begin or end with the teen years. Uh, Lots of parents and teachers and children's ministers are dealing with those pressures and those stresses even in young children. And to help us find some pathways through that, we're privileged in this episode to have as our guest, Amy Craig. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. We're glad to have you here. Amy is an adjunct professor in our counseling program and is a trained facilitator of the Parenting the Strong-Willed Child training. Uh, Amy's been in counseling practice for 19 years, holds a credential from the Colorado Department of Health and Human Services for early childhood social and emotional uh, development. Uh, And Amy also has a background in international ministry with uh, CRU, the old campus crusade in Bulgaria, I think. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah, I served there um, in the late 90s, so quite some time ago, um, during the Kosovo conflict, actually, with UN presence. And so it was a good education for me. Um, And we got an opportunity to share the gospel and distribute Bibles and um, do a lot of work in the Eastern Europe area. So. Yeah, that's uh, that was a quite embattled area during that time. It was, yeah, it was an education for me, for sure. Yeah, and and hopefully built a heart in me um, to understand better what what those people live with, what that um, area of the world lives with on a regular basis. Yeah, when we think about stresses and pressures, um, they they know something about that. They do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Amy is also um, the owner and operator of Loving Families, which is a her own private counseling practice, and as I mentioned, she's been in practice for about 19 years, so brings a lot to the table and does have a specialty in dealing with uh, children, uh, childhood trauma, uh, all kinds of pressure, so that's really what we want to dive into. Amy, tell us, if you would, a, a bit about some of the causes, the sources of stress and anxiety that younger children are experiencing today. Well, I think in addition to the typical developmental struggles that kids and families have, then obviously the the major add-on we've had in the last couple of years is COVID. Right. So I, I think, and rightfully so, a lot of time and attention, I hope money and research goes into seeing how COVID has affected teens and young adults as they're you know, beginning kind of this new phase of development. But my hope is that there's also going to be some money and time spent looking at how COVID has affected younger children and the families of younger children as well. So this hit at a developmental stage where a lot of kids were not just learning ABCs and math and reading skills, which is huge, 
But in addition, social skills. How do you make friends? How do you keep friends? What is it like to leave my parents to go to Sunday school or to go to school at the beginning of every school day? So we have a lot of kids who ended up having separation anxiety who didn't have that before COVID, but did once COVID hit. And then we were returning back to in-person church and school. Say, uh, if you would, a little bit more about the normal stresses that accompany those developmental phases for children? So the developmental theorist um, that I really appreciate is um, Dr. Brazelton. So he passed away a couple of years ago, but he, in the early childhood years, he was a contemporary of Fred Rogers and did a lot um, from a national standpoint of legislation to protect and um, in the early education and early childhood um, health world. He was a pediatrician. Um, and he has this concept called touch points where there's a concept that before any of us, any point along our development, um, human development, before we make a major leap in our development, we tend to backslide or kind of stutter step and then make a leap. Um, so one, one example that we always give that most people relate to is right before um, teenagers go to college, mm-hmm. often that summer is filled with some uh, turmoil, yeah. usually for most yeah. families, and some conflict. And then it's time for them to leap into adulthood. And oftentimes for kids, we see similar things, right? Right before a child cuts a tooth or learns to read or goes to school for the first time, often we have slight regression in going to the bathroom or it, our eating ch- habits change very quickly or we struggle with um, sleeping and we didn't before. And so we have kind of this backslide kind of backwards and then a huge leap. And so that's kind of what we usually see when we have teachers or Sunday school teachers or parents saying it was fine and now it's not fine. Mm. And so we already have that as a typical part of our development. It doesn't look like straight out of a textbook when we talk about five-year-olds in development. But then when you add COVID on top, it just became more complex. Okay. So there's there's really no such thing as a stress-free development cycle for anybody. Unfortunately, no. Right. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) under the best of conditions, which nobody occupies, um, a normal normal development has its own internal stresses and anxieties and pressures for anybody. That's that's part of growing up all throughout our lives. And I think your point then is that you add some of the unusual factors like COVID, but I'm sure there are other things as well Mm -hmm. that have Uh, been introduced into most people's lives over the last few years, and that exacerbates, that intensifies. Mm -hmm. Um, Does it it complicate it or change those stresses developmentally in any way? I think from when you look at it from a whole family standpoint, it just becomes more complicated. We have more pieces, right? So there's always been stress for families, and there's always stresses as adults. But when you add even some of kind of the the global stress that we've had, even when we had fires here in Colorado, um, when people are worried about their own homes and the safety of their own families or their own homes, um, or they're worried about finances because we're worried about what's going on with the economy, or we're about global safety um, and, and what's going on there, when adults are dysregulated, when adults are anxious, then it's very difficult to help your child regulate if you are not regulated. So any regulation that we're helping our children to not be anxious when they're going to school, to feel secure and well-attached to us as adults, if we are dysregulated, it's very difficult to pass on the gift of regulation to our children. That's interesting because I, I would imagine that any number of parents may be saying, 
Well, I don't talk about all those things that stress me with my children, but mm-hmm. are, are you saying that kids pick up on that anyway, even if it's yes. not being vocalized to Absolutely. them? Absolutely. Kids are so much smarter than sometimes we even give them credit for or realize. And every once in a while we go, wow, that's amazing. But I think sometimes we forget um, just how smart and perceptive kids are and how many nonverbals they pick up on um, or just a tone of a conversation. So kids know. And if I ask a kid in session and say, you know, how, how are things at school? And they'll, you know, give me some stories. How are things at home? It is shocking to me how perceptive kids are in picking up in little things. And parents will go, I had no idea. So they're, they're downloading emotionally from their parents and and other caregivers in in their adult world. Absolutely. Uh, uh. Do you find in your work that, that, that kids, when when I say kids, I'm what, what are we talking about? Or elementary age? I mean, yeah, what, I think, what would be the best age range for the conversation? Yeah, I mean, typically in, in the United States, puberty starts, we start seeing the very beginnings of puberty between as early as 10 or 11, right? Okay. So, yeah, I'm, when I'm saying kids, I'm thinking kind of birth through 12, yes. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm, Up mm-hmm. to puberty, yeah. basically. Yeah. All right. Do you find um, that that the kids in this range are also more stressed and anxious because of what they're picking up on social media or are are, are kids in this age range engaged enough with social media that that too is becoming a source of stress for them? I would I mean, say, it sounds like a leading question, but I really don't know. Yeah, in, in my experience, I certainly can't speak for everyone. In my experience, yes, it is both something they want, right? They enjoy that once they have their own device or they have exposure to that. It's made to be appealing. It's made, you know, not only do you have the addictive nature of the blue screen itself, right. but then the media is made, I mean, it, that's the purpose of it, is that we want more of it. We want to continue to use these apps. The people that create them are, are very, very intelligent. And so, yes, they, they want to do them. However, is it good for their mental health? Is it helpful for their growth and development to be comparing themselves to others? And we don't usually share the worst of what's going on. You yeah, get the best yeah. version of everyone, which you and I as adults are pretty aware of that on a good day, I hope. <laughs> If you ask a 10-year-old, I don't know. It depends on the 10-year-old, I guess, their, their level of awareness that that's really what they're consuming. Okay. Sounds like, though, um, at any rate, a lot of kids are taking in far more than the adults in their world are aware they're taking in. Yes. And experiencing more stress and anxiety than we may be aware they're experiencing. Yes. Well, I'd love to have you loop back to some things you mentioned a couple of minutes ago about how this stress and anxiety manifests itself in in kids what do we see behaviorally um or or in other ways um that would would clue us in to some unusual or some problematic Mm -hmm. levels of stress and anxiety in their lives so when we talk about younger kids um kind of early childhood age range they work with what they've got right so usually when they're not doing well um, they don't have the verbiage to sit down and say, I'm really struggling right now. I could use some assistance, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so we see it through their behavior and we see it through their body. And so what they have to work with to tell us they're not doing well or they're in distress usually is their bathroom habits, right? They're pottying. Mm, okay. So 
a child who was never a bedwetter before is now starting to occasionally have some problems in the evening, um, you know, overnight. Or we have kids who um, struggle with eating, where all of a sudden we weren't a picky eater and now we're very picky. Or um, that we actually have, you know, refusal to eat, that they're that they're concerned um, or they're nauseous enough that they aren't eating so they're or they're overeating in order to feel better that kids who didn't struggle with that before all of a sudden are sneaking food and we're finding food in their room so it could be eating it could be restroom habits um, it could be mood where kids are are just more easily frustrated with themselves and those around them um, so usually usually they're they're working with what they have and then obviously sleep disturbance as well mm. that kids you know are, are just having a hard time falling asleep. Are you having a nightmare? Sometimes yes. Sometimes no. It's just hard to fall asleep. Okay. I, I can imagine that uh, that a lot of parents of young children would would say, you know, I'm dealing with that all the time anyway. And if that's a normal, if some of that to some extent is a normal part of their development, mm-hmm. how, how do I know when, um, when they've crossed a trouble threshold? That's a good question. I think it's the sudden, right? We look how for how frequent something is happening and how intense it is. Okay. So if, yes, we just kind of over COVID got off of schedule or right after we changed the clocks twice a year, our sleep is a little off, that's pretty normal, typical development. If we had a kid who's a really good sleeper, never had an issue, or it's been years since we've had an issue, and then all of a sudden we're running to mom and dad's bedroom every night, then we question just why now? Um, And that's the question. It's not, not that you're questioning the legitimacy of it, but just help me understand why we were okay last month but all of a sudden, okay. it's really hard to go okay. to sleep, or it's really hard to stay asleep. Okay, huh? Uh, can you, can you maybe offer some guidance to uh, parents, some of whom may be uh, what is often called helicopter parents or uh, over-involved parents who kind of lose their minds over any little thing they see that's out of the ordinary. Uh, and parents who are maybe under-involved, who, yeah, whatever, you know, they'll be okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do we find our way between over-involvement and under-involvement as parents when we, when we see these symptoms of anxiety and stress in these young kids? I think we want to make sure that we are viewing that there is not one normal behavior, even for an age range, but that there's a range of norm. So is it normal to struggle with sleep at some point in your life? Yeah, it's actually abnormal not to struggle with I'm sleep. I'm kind of there right now. You know, so <laughs> maybe we need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, so that, that is <clears throat> typical behavior. That's typical part of development yeah. um, over time just biologically. So we don't want to overreact every time that a kid has a rough night of sleep you know, for a period of time. That's very normal. However, when there is a range of norm, so we just want to see is, is something happening so frequently or it's so intense that it's disturbing their development or it's disturbing the family, the functioning of the whole family, or it's disturbing their learning, right? So we're looking for there are ups and downs in development and it's difficult. It's a hard job to parent um, yeah. and development changes. As soon as you feel like you've got your footing, then then they change, right? Yeah, yeah, they do. Um, so that's that is completely normal, and that's just the ride that you're, we're on as humans with development and just how God wired us that, that things are changing. However, 
when something is happening so frequently that it's it's impacting the family functioning or the child's functioning, then we say, what's going on and, and what can we do to help? Okay. You know, a lot, I think a lot of parents would be interested not only in um, interventions when there is a trouble spot with their kiddos, but preventative mm-hmm. uh, as well. And sometimes it's hard to know, well, when do I seek help? Uh, how bad do I, do I let it get before we get help? What's the difference between some of the preventative strategies and the, I guess, the therapeutic mm-hmm. approaches? It's a good question, and, and it does change in age range, right? So uh-huh. something that works when they're in elementary school, then in middle school we get eye rolls. And so it, it does change <laughs> yeah. dramatically yeah. Um, of what's helpful. So I, I think it's looking at each of the kids in the family and seeing what their needs are. Um, so what's helpful to that child? Do they need more hands-on right now in their development? They need a little bit of extra special time, just them and dad, to kind of connect because they're trying to figure out who am I as a young man, or do we need to back up and give them a little space so they can spread their wings? So I think it's it's really dependent upon the child, but when they are starting, when they're struggling, um, again, I think we're looking at that range of norm. Is this normal kid developmental struggle? And that's okay. Um, we just kind of look at what they need and, and either step it up or, or step back or... Are they really struggling and we kind of feel out of our depth as parents of I need some additional resources? We've kind of exhausted the coping skills we have as a family. We could use some additional strategies. And then I think that's when that's when it's good to whether you're meeting with someone from your church or you're looking for professional help within the church or outside the church. That's when we we talk to a pediatrician. We talk to a pastor. We talk to a therapist and just say, I think we've exhausted what our family knows how to do. Can you help us so we can figure out what the next step is? Yeah. And, and in some of those instances, if, if it is kind of within that range of normal, it can help simply to have that affirmed. Yes. So that you, you don't have to lose your mind. Right. But you know when you don't have to lose your mind. Yes. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your work longitudinally with... Um, uh, children who've then moved into their teen years and you've seen um, how things have changed for them or seen what's been really beneficial for them over the span of years. Yeah, that's been one of the great blessings mm-hmm. of getting to work with kids is they don't they don't stay kids. They don't stay little for long. Yeah. Um, and and so I get to watch with families, um, with their parents as they're growing and developing as adults as well as the kids and and getting to watch that. I think one of the greatest blessings for me has been the attachment piece that especially, um, especially for kids that I had an opportunity to meet when they were children and there is either one of the parents has passed away or is not present. Um, it's been, it's been an honor to get to be a safe attachment piece, right? So we see, um, improved mental health if there is a healthy attachment to at least one attachment figure. Mm. So as Mm. long as they have a healthy attachment with grandma or grandpa or one of their parents, then we know that the trajectory is pretty good for them long term. And then a blessing to me is I get to be an add-on, right? That I get to be an additional, hopefully, um, get to be an additional attachment to in addition to that one healthy attachment that they have and get to, you know, normalize things that it's okay to feel that way it's okay that you know 
middle school is hard. It's okay that the first breakup is is so hard to go yeah, through. Yeah. All those pieces, it's 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 been amazing um, and an honor to get to walk them through some of those pieces as an additional attachment figure. Yeah, yeah. I find it hopeful and reassuring that everything in terms of attachments to significant figures it doesn't have to be perfect and complete because when you mentioned that if there is a significant attachment with one person Mm -hmm. there's the right there can be the right kind of trajectory Mm -hmm. that that just sounds really hopeful Mm -hmm. to me that it doesn't have to all be perfect yes yeah it doesn't. And and hopefully God brings different and often does brings different attachment figures into our life at different phases of mm-hmm, life because mm-hmm. he knows what we need mm-hmm. and it changes over time. Um, it is. Uh, that's the protective factor is, is that if we have at least one healthy attachment to, to an attachment figure that, that God's provided, that it just, we feel not alone, right? And we oh, have yeah. a good mentor and a, and a good discipleship, even if it doesn't feel that way. And that's not how we would label it when we're in middle school um, with our parent. But that's that's what it is. It's modeling of, of how, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get through life? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I we've talked a bit about the children themselves, what to look for in kids. But I would imagine that a good bit of your work is with the parents of the kids and helping them know what to look for, what to, you know, how seriously to take some things. You've already spoken to that a little bit, but I wonder if there's uh, any any other layers we can peel back to that in terms of uh, just speaking to parents? Mm-hmm. What, what what do they need to know? What do you want them to hear? Well, and I will tell you, just be really candid, that when I left uh, the seminary and graduated and got a job and I was working with kids and I thought, oh, this is great. I, I, I do enjoy working with kids. This will be great. I was shocked that I'm actually working more with the adults and the parents okay. than with the kids. Okay. That was, I, I mean, school teachers find the same thing. I'm embarrassed much. to say that that was not a concept for me. That was kind of news to me that I would be speaking with adults and working with adults just as much, if not more, than, than the kids they okay. were bringing into the office. Okay. I, I now know that all these years later. <laughs> I got that now. I did not at the time. So yes, a, a lot of the work that I do is um, in in assisting parents and supporting them as they are then supporting the kids, right? And I tell parents all the time, I am temporary and you are permanent. I am just joining the team. You guys have existed as a team long before mm-hmm. you even knew who I was. I am just joining the team to assist you in, in the work that you're already doing to raise your kid. And so I'm here to, to support you as well as your child to, to hopefully um, get where, where you need to go next. And that's, but you are the one who's doing the hard work and has for years. Yeah. Well, and I know there's not a, just a standard boilerplate answer that you have for parents because every situation, every, uh, every family unit has got its own fingerprints to it. But what, right. what are some of the patterns you see of, of the things you have to tell parents? Often I will ask parents, what are, what's your hot button? So what, what mm. is the one behavior or thing that they say or do or if they're struggling with anxiety or with depression that really just cuts you all the way down to your core? Because that's the moment where we need to assist you in regulating, whether that's tagging out and, and your partner then needs to take over so you can have a minute or that's where maybe you need to do get to do your own work. I know you're focused on meeting the needs of your child, but I want to make sure your needs get met too. Um, and sometimes parents get lost in the mix that we're so focused on making sure the kid is okay or the teenager is okay that the parent gets lost 
um, in the mix mm. and their needs are not met. And then it's mm. hard to support their child. Well, yeah, because to your earlier point, that's the, uh, the when those hot buttons get get pushed, that's the that's the problematic stuff that the kids are downloading, right? Right. And it's it's you know, it's hard to help someone else if you feel not OK. And so if if they're whether it's just the end of the week when you are just fatigued and, and you know, as a parent, you've been working all week, too. And so you're just done. And so anything that comes up on a Friday or we're supposed to you know be having fun on Saturday and Sunday. And that's for a lot of parents are like, oh, my gosh, that's the hardest part yeah. of the week because yeah. I'm done. Fun is a heavy burden, isn't it? A little bit. Sometimes <laughs> it is. Yeah. yeah. And, and when it's not a fun phase for the family, you know, we think of and when you look at social media, weekends look amazing. And when that's not your experience as a parent, then you go, what am I doing wrong? Uh, OK. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with our family? Why? We don't look like that. We don't feel like that. I don't feel like that. And so I think there's just you're right, just like you were talking about the normalization that that's normal. It's not every Saturday is fun filled. Um, and, and sometimes we get to the weekends and that's the hardest part because we're done. And so our kid says something or does something and we're triggered. And sometimes that's not our finest parenting moment. Yeah. And then parents have this feeling that, you know, I just want to go back to work to get away from this and then feel guilty for that. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talk a lot about parenting guilt, you know, whether that's, you know, whatever that looks like for you, Um, whether that's triggered by social media or by the feelings that come when you don't have warm, fuzzy feelings about your child all Mm -hmm, the time mm -hmm. or or even honestly, if you connect more with one of your children than the other and then you have that guilt of of why do I feel that way? Why am I not connecting with both of my kids? Does that mean I'm not a good parent to that child? So I just think there's a lot at play. Um, as adults. And and again, sometimes our kids pick up on that and sometimes they don't. But I think mm-hmm. we might be surprised how much they do when we're when we're feeling and you're being hard on ourselves and we're not feeling good about our parenting. Kids pick up on that. Mm. This type of conversation, particularly in Western culture, tends to focus on nuclear family units. Um, but there's there's a community aspect to it as well. And for believers, that obviously or hopefully involves the church. Right. What, what kind of community does the church need to be to play its role properly in supporting families, nuclear families in all of this? That's a great question. I think part of it is that normalization. I think large international organizations like MOPS tend to do that very well, mm-hmm. right? That this is an opportunity for moms of young kids to all get together, hopefully get resourced well, which I think they do that very well. Um, but also, the, usually the first half of those meetings is just to sit with other women and eat breakfast at those tables and hear, yeah, I feel that way too. And yeah, this was a rough week. And I would love to say that that we're just, you know, crushed in it and we're not so much. <laughs> and I think it's good and healthy to hear that so that it's kind of the opposite of that social media effect where people go, okay, you too. This is, you're not thriving. Okay. I'm sorry for that. And okay. That makes me feel a little more okay. Yeah. Um, So I do think that that some of it is the normalization piece as well as the training piece that parents do when they do feel that they've exhausted their resources or I don't know what to do. My wife doesn't know what to do. We're not sure what to do with this because we didn't encounter this with our first two kids, but our third kid, we have questions um, that the church is a hospitable place to ask those questions and not feel judgment. Okay. Yeah, the, the, this kind of conversation can have a certain gravity to it, a, you know, a seriousness to it, a heaviness to it. 
But I would love to hear your thoughts about the role of humor and play in in dealing with uh, the stresses and anxieties that children have. I think we do kids a service if we see play as the work of childhood. They are working. They are doing big things when they're playing. It's not a waste of time. It is a wonderful investment of time. And so it can it can be helpful educationally, it can be helpful relationally, and they need that outlet. And we play as adults, we call it other things, but if you play an instrument, if you go hiking and enjoy nature, or you use your imagination online to create things, you're playing too. Um, so we're play- hopefully playing as adults, it, it, has, it has a purpose. And I use humor as one of or the main uh, way that I use mindfulness with kids because if they're in order to find something funny you have to be listening and tracking with and fully in the moment in order to find something funny and so oftentimes especially if I'm doing like grounding if I'm doing trauma work with with a kid or a young teen rather than than at the end doing something really kind of heady as far as you know mindfulness I will say you know who in who last in your class farted in class and then they giggle and they laugh right and they go actually so and so in math class farted today and I go there you go right they're fully with me in the room we're not thinking about the trauma we're not back in time reliving that trauma we're fully in the moment to find that funny yeah um and we're not laughing at someone's expense I'm just saying who farted last right um and and just see what happens there um and for a lot of kids just asking a question like that that's a little silly, a little funny, a little out of left field um, is enough to bring them back into the room. And so teaching families, too, that you can use humor as a really good form of kind of bonding and mindfulness as a family. I love the connection you made between humor and mindfulness. I never would have thought about that. But that's why some people don't get jokes. Because they don't know how to pay attention. Right. You have to to be fully tracking with that person in order to find it funny. It's also why if you have a really good conversation with someone and you've laughed a lot, you do feel differently leaving that. Oh, yeah, by all means. Not only the endorphins that you're you're feeling, but you you knew you were fully attuned with each other. Where if you're just having a cognitive conversation, not so much. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's great. Uh, Okay, some... A few key ideas or takeaways or resources that you'd want to leave with people who want to learn more or want to take a next step. I think for for parents who who are saying, you know, we just kind of want to refresh at the beginning of the year or we've set um, a a New Year's resolution to to kind of work on some things as a family. I think the main thing is make sure that as as a couple and as individuals, you are getting your needs met, that you are attuned to each other, that you are regulated yourself as adults. Because if we enter into this work with kids where we're asking them to work hard and to be attuned and to be mindful, that's really what we're asking when we say, like, can, can you like bring it down a notch and quiet down and sit down? We're saying, can you regulate? Okay. So if we are not regulated then either we're hypocritical or we don't have those skills to pass on. So I think starting with ourselves um, as parents first before we're asking that of our children. And then if God is bringing to mind that, you know, there's something about one of our kids that I just feel like we need to assist them, we need to support them, don't ignore that. So whether you talk to someone that you trust at your church or you talk to your pediatrician or you do seek out a therapist, find someone that you do 
trust and you feel like knows you or your child, if at all possible, and ask their outside opinion and, and get some, some wisdom in that piece. Yeah. Just don't do it alone. Yeah. Don't right? do it alone. Yeah. We're, we're the body of Christ. You do not have to do this alone. Right. Right. Well, Amy, this has been so good. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, this has been uh, our visit with Amy Craig. And if you want to find more information about um, more Amy's resources through her practice, uh, her website is www.lovingfamiliestherapy.com. And she would love to have you visit there and check out what she's doing. I want to uh, put in a plug as well for our counseling program here. Some of you will know this, but if you don't, uh, Denver Seminary's uh, clinical counseling program was the very first seminary-based program in the country to have KCREP accreditation, which is the gold standard of accreditation for counseling programs, and would love to have you check out our website um, for that and um, all other kinds of resources, denverseminary.edu. We've got lots of stuff going on there and resources of all kinds that you can take advantage of. And particularly if you're, you or somebody you know is interested in some further study, either with a degree program or even a, a short-term certificate, we've got lots of options there. Love to have you check those out. If you would like to give us some feedback on the podcast, you can email us. Our email address is podcast at denverseminary.edu. So to whoever you are and whatever your relationship is with us, if you're a donor, a student, uh, an alum, uh, we're grateful, grateful for your uh, connection to us, grateful for your prayers, your support, and grateful for your feedback. So please communicate with us. Uh, My name is Don Payne again, and we look forward to another conversation with you really soon. Check back with us. Take care.